So this is my second sermon on on Proverbs, or at least from the book of Proverbs. And um, this morning we begin with Ted Williams. Are you familiar with Ted Williams? Ted Williams? No, 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 wait, what am I doing? Not that Ted Williams. Not the Ted Williams that played for the Boston Red Sox from 39 to 60, 1960. Not, not that Ted Williams. We begin with this other Ted Williams. This, you've probably seen this video if you've ever been on YouTube. Um, but let's, let's begin with this, this uh, video. Found that, I always found that video to be just, just fascinating. Somebody uh, on the street, you know, with a cardboard sign. And, uh, you know, that went viral a number of years ago. But uh, it's powerful, right? I mean, people are, certain people have the ability to speak in profound, uh, profound ways. You know, that, that particular video, I mean, he was on the street. He's now doing, I, I don't know what he's doing today, but he, soon after that video, started doing quite well in his life. He went up on the voice charts. You know, there are voice charts out there. Who has the greatest voice? It's not mine even close. I'm not on the list in any way, shape, or form. Um, but but there, there are, you know, voice charts, you know, and uh, for example, James Earl Jones, right, the, 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 the guy who did uh, Darth Vader. You know, he's way up there on the charts. Morgan Freeman, Freeman is way up there on the charts. Uh, Ted Williams is right up with them, you know, in terms of just recognizing these great voices. I'll never forget that when I was in uh, seminary, there was a man by the name of Ellsworth Callis. Uh, Ellsworth Callis was a, a really good speaker, a really good preacher in terms of content, but his voice, I mean, his voice commanded attention. I mean, he had this way of speaking that just, it just brought you in. I mean, you couldn't turn your, you know, couldn't turn away from this guy because he's just, <sighs> He had the voice of like uh, someone told me that he's like just imagine, uh, imagine what God is like, and uh, you might hear his voice today when you listen to Ellsworth Callis. Just the way it is, um, voices, great voices, make a difference. They really do. Uh, I'm glad that God has not given me a great voice. Uh, I probably would it would probably get me into trouble, right? Uh, but great voices make a difference. They. They, they bring us in. They, they, uh, they help us to not stop listening. I mean, there are times in which you probably are listening to a preacher and you go, well, I've had enough of that after 15, 20 minutes. Um, but, but great voices keep sucking us in. They keep our attention. Um, I occasionally listen to various books on tape, which now they're just called, I don't know what they're called. They're audio books, right? And like if you go to audio, uh, uh, no, audible, and some of you probably have gone there, right? Audible, you can, you can bring in, uh, you know, you can pay a fee every month and you can download books. I tend to b download lectures. Uh, I'm very interested in learning. And so I do. I, I, mo most of my stuff, at least half my stuff is lectures that I've downloaded from Audible. But I've noticed that you can do a search for your favorite narrator. Because some people, they love the narrator so much that the content is, is secondary. It's the narrator they want. I'm not kidding you. And so you can go ahead, if you're on Audible, and you can do a search for a narrator. And um, I've got a couple of that I really love on there. So just, just, just saying. Now, all this makes me wonder a little bit. And I don't know if it ever makes you wonder, and I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but it makes me wonder, 
what did Jesus' voice sound like when he was you know, doing his ministry on the earth? Have you ever thought about that? What did his voice sound like? We're always trying to figure out, well, what did he look like? But I'm raising the question today, you know, just for fun. What did he sound like? Um, did he, I, I wonder at times, did he sound like Fred Gwynn? You familiar with Fred Gwynn? Some of the old ones, you know, I'm probably not. Probably not. Maybe he sounded like Jason Alexander, George Costanza, but probably not. And I hope he doesn't like. I don't. I hope I don't get like, you know, uh, electrocuted. What do you call it? Like lightning strike me right now for saying that. But nevertheless, maybe probably not like him. Uh, maybe this gets more to it. Where's Richard today? Richard's not here today. It's too bad because I did this for him. So anyway, maybe more like John Wayne. Yeah, there you go, Doug. That's right, Doug. Doug, you, you like that. And you remind Richard that I put John Wayne up here because I think that's, that's what you know, Richard would think that Jesus sounded like. John. I can't do a John Wayne. I want to do a John Wayne so bad right now. But if I even try it, it's going to be completely messed up. So when I say the word partner, I just say the word partner. Oh, pilgrim, right? That's the word, right? Well, pilgrim. No, I can't do it. Can't do it. People listening on podcasts right now are completely, you know, it goes back to that whole thing. How my, my friend John Harden used to say, remember Paul, and I said this a few weeks ago, remember Paul, it's not they're laughing with you, they're laughing at you, you know, and, uh, and that's probably the case, you know, pilgrim. Anyway, so, but when I think of, of Jesus' voice, I tend to think more like this, and my wife is going to love me for this. Rather than John Wayne, I think of Jimmy Stewart, you know, it's just, it's just got to listen. You got to listen. Well, anyway, we don't know uh, anything about Jesus' voice, but we do know, or at least we have a suspicion, that he was really, really good at amplifying his voice. Uh, uh, Mark tells us this, and this is, just, this is so Jesus here. You know, so many people wanting to listen to him. It, it just tells us this in Mark 4. Again, the, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat on it or sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things in parables. I've been to that end of the Sea of Galilee, Sea of Galilee, and it's amazing because you can tell that that whole area there is just, it's almost like custom-made for amplifying your voice. If you're out on the water, that just there's really good acoustics there with the, on the land. So maybe, you know, I'm sure Jesus took advantage of that, but nevertheless, nobody in the New Testament, none of the New Testament talks about Jesus' booming voice, like an Ellsworth Callus or something, a booming voice, or a Ted Williams. Uh, it, there is this uh, reference to Jesus' voice in 1027 of John, John 1027, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. But this is, has to do more with the fact that, it has more to do with the fact that Something happens inside of us when Jesus speaks to us, and we need to learn to listen to his voice. It doesn't really comment upon the, on like the tone or style of his voice. It's just more like the, the fact that God does speak to us, Jesus does speak to us. And, and, and Jesus' sheep, hopefully that's you, um, understands that. We can understand that. Okay. So all this means that from the first century, we as moderns are left empty-handed in terms of the voice of Jesus, right? We're left empty-handed. We're left without photographs, 
We're left without films. Wouldn't you want to have a film of Jesus' ministry? Uh, and we're left without voice recordings. Um, now, there is a larger issue, and I'm, I'm going to just touch upon this anyway. I, I, want you, I want us to at least consider the way God chose to communicate to us. There's a way that he chose to communicate to us. Uh, I could get absolutely lost in, in this. Uh, could do a number of, of lectures about the form of which God brought, brings his word to us, but he brings it to us in the printed page. I mean, when you read the Bible, you're reading God's word, but you don't hear it inflected, right? Like if we were to hear it audibly, like if Jesus gave us a tape recording of his, maybe his discourses, you know, a discourse would be like a speech, so like the Sermon on the Mount. If we, wouldn't it be kind of great if we had Jesus, you have to know Aramaic because he spoke in Aramaic, but wouldn't it be great well, maybe he could do it for us in English. Wouldn't it be great if, if, if we had a voice recording of Jesus speaking in the Sermon on the Mount? I mean, you could see where the emphasis would be here, and then he'd maybe de-emphasize this other thing. Because we, we, cha- we change our meaning in a lot of ways in life based upon our voice inflection. Moms do this all the time, don't they, with their kids? Johnny Bill Delashaw, my brother's name. Well, that's a little different than Johnny Bill Delashaw, right? I mean, you know, the way we use our voice is important. So, but we, we have this printed page, and what do we do with that, okay? Uh, you know what I think we have to do? I think, we, I think the fact that it comes to us as a printed page and our voice recording means that we have to dig, right? We have to kind of look for the clues and try to rebuild scenes. I think rebuilding scenes is very important. I mean, what did Jesus' voice sound like when he told the Pharisees that they were in big trouble? What did Jesus' voice sound like when, when he tells Peter or asks Peter this question, Peter, do you love me? I mean, is it Peter, do you love me? Or Peter, do you love me? Or Peter, do you love me? You see? And we don't have that. We don't have that. So we have to, we have to really dig and pursue uh, pursue what's there on the page and try to rebuild some of those scenes and do the best we can. Of course, this all takes prayer, right? We've got to have the Holy Spirit helps us. The Spirit is our teacher, this kind of thing. Okay, so today we are in the book of Proverbs. Uh, last week I preached on the fear of the Lord, and I'm pre- like I said, I'm preaching four sermons out of the book of Proverbs or at least connected to the book of Proverbs, uh, themes in the book of Proverbs. Last week was the fear of the Lord. This week's about speech. Next week will be about divine retribution. And then the fourth week, it's going to be, the fourth Sunday, it's going to be about money and wealth, that kind of thing. These are all very important themes in the book of Proverbs. And we could, we could, we could point out other themes. There's plenty of themes in Proverbs, but these are ones that I'm, that I'm speaking of. Okay? So today is about speech, uh, this way of speech and the content of, of, of speech. Okay? So um, the, the way a person speaks in the Bible is absolutely crucial. Uh, Ted Williams, I don't know if you're a Christian, but this is your day. Right? This is your day. Okay? So we see the tension. I read for you earlier this morning from the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And we see the tension in, uh, in, in, um, in Paul's own ministry about speaking. So I want to read this again to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 
7 through 10. I want to read this part uh, to you, and then actually later I'm going to make reference to the earlier verses. But, but look at this. It says, look what Paul says about his ministry. And, and there's this tension between style and content. Look at what is before your eyes, Paul says. If anyone is confident that he is Christ, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ, so also are we. For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave, uh, gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. I do not want to appear to be frightening with, your, with you, frightening you with my letters, for they say, his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak, and his speech of no account. In other words, Paul is probably not the best public speaker. I don't know if you've heard that before. Paul's probably not the best public speaker. Now, when you read, read his speeches in Acts, I've got to tell you, it's like, Wow incredible but that may have more to do with his content than his style he struggled in this department at least compared to others he compared himself to apollos who was this great public speaker it's like and he knew he wasn't as good as apollos was in terms of style and so forth uh, now if it, it, let me let me show you how true the truth is because luke talks about this in the book of acts acts chapter 20 he makes reference to the fact that you know and he implies that paul it was probably at times kind of boring, you know? On the first day of the week, now, by the way, Paul is uh, in Troas. He's on his, on, his, uh, on his missionary journey. He says, on the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them. These are the people who were a part of this church in Troas, intending to depart on the next day. And he prolonged his speech until midnight. Now, I got to tell you, every preacher loves that phrase, Right? I mean, I just love that phrase. I mean, look at that. He prolonged his speech until midnight. And you're probably thinking to yourself, this is going to be great because, because Paul, the preacher today, or the pastor, I don't know how you think of me, but Paul is going to just give us a long sermon. And you know what? I could do that because it would be consistent with the biblical tradition. Right? Maybe not consistent with the American tradition, but it would be consistent with the biblical tradition. Paul was prolonging his speech until midnight. Who knows when he started, right? He probably started right after dinner. Just saying. Verse 8, there were many lamps in the upper room where, he, where uh, we were gathered. Obviously, it's going late into the night. And a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. Anyone here getting sleepy? Well, anyway. And being overcome by sleep, he, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. Now, Paul comes to him, and he ends up, ends up living. But the point is, is that there were times in Paul's own ministry, I think he was kind of boring, or at least he spoke too long. At least too long for Eutychus. All right? So just, just saying. I hope you see the tension between style of speech or tone of speech and the content of speech. Content... Content is absolutely crucial, but the way we're just spoken in the Bible cannot be ignored. It's part of our reconstruction of the biblical scene. And why do I talk about this? Because I'm challenging you to become a good Bible student. Don't ever read the Bible just flat. Because it comes, and there are clues, clues on the page, but it comes to us really with a different inflection. And so we have to look for those clues on the page. Content is crucial, but the way words are spoken in the Bible cannot be ignored. Cannot be ignored. Part of our reconstruction of the biblical 
seen. Um, now, this is true in the book of Proverbs. Because the way that, that uh, Proverbs, well, Proverbs gives us clues as well. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you, for example, uh, how the woman folly, who's very important in the book, and particularly in the first nine chapters, the woman folly, how the woman folly speaks. So, so here we go. Look, look at this. Let's see, what was I going to have on there? I had, oh, look at that. The little content is always dynamic. I've already said that. Okay, so, but look at the woman folly. Consider the way that woman folly uses her words in Proverbs. Proverbs 2.16. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. There's something appealing about the way that she speaks, right? 6.24. To preserve you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. Proverbs 7.15, to keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. Same word every time here. Shalak in the Hebrew. Shalak. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. Um, Proverbs does not want us to ignore the style of speech. So the word shalak, which is in that verse, the, the word shalak means... To flatter, that's what it means. A lying tongue hates its victims, but a flattering, shalak, a flattering mouth, same word as the smooth, flattering mouth works ruin. Now, you know that this is important, right? I mean, you believe this, the way people use words. And it's right there in the very first biblical story, well, not the first biblical story, but right in the very beginning, right in chapter 3 of Genesis. Uh, you know the story. You're familiar with the story. Uh, look at the way in which the serpent uses words. Okay? I'm trying to show you that the Bible is trying to sh give us clues that the way things are spoken is super important. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the other beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? You think he said it that way? Of course not, because the way that it's, the words are spoken is crucial. Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Really? Okay. And the woman said to the serpent, we must eat of the fruit of the tree in the, in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You see? see? So again, it's the way in which things are spoken that's very important. Now, this is really my first point because what I'm trying to do, do here is show you that the way that we read our Bibles is absolutely crucial. We must become good students of the Bible. just the way it is. If we're ever going to have, I put it up here on the screen, if we're ever going to have a powerful spirit-led church in Kalama, then we're going to have to know the content of the Bible and use every method possible to understand it. You're going to have to be serious students of the Word. This is a challenge for the churches everywhere, right? And of course, I'm gonna, I could tell you, I could go right, I could spend the rest of the sermon just talking about how 
the church in the United States is not taking the Bible seriously. People are not reading their Bibles, let alone being students of the Bible. Okay, so just 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 saying, just saying. I think that's really important. So that's my first point: is that is that we have to be great Bible students. Now, this has to do with what I'm calling inward flow. Think of it that way: inward flow, taking the Bible inside of us, take it with taking it within ourselves. And now the sermon shifts. Now this message shifts because it's not only about the way that we bring the Word of God into us. And the book of Proverbs gives a witness to that. It's not only that, but it has to do also with an outward flow. Um, first point's an inward flow. Second point has an outward flow. Okay. My second point centers on what we do with the Bible. In other words, how are we going to give our knowledge away? It's not enough just to know the word, right? It's how we give it away. This is where the book of Proverbs, and more, even more so, comes into the picture. Um, we could express the second point this way. This way. The world, I think I put it on the screen, actually. There it is, second point. The world in which we live has a great need of people who know how to use their biblical knowledge and their speech wisely. Think about that for a moment. You have friends, you have neighbors, you have people you work with, and you may know the Bible, and your neighbors perhaps don't know the Bible. But how are you going to communicate the Bible? How are you going to use this speech wisely? And you know what? It's going to take a lot of wisdom to know how to speak the words of the Bible to our neighbors and so forth. Uh, this takes us right back to 2 Corinthians 10. 2 Corinthians 10, look at what Paul says. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. What is the power that we have as Christians in the world that we live? It's our voice. It's our words. It's the word of God that is within us, and the way that we communicate that word of God is absolutely crucial. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are of divine power to destroy strongholds. Now, I think Paul's talking about the, the powers of the struggle that we have within ourselves to think biblically, to think like Jesus Christ. But he's also thinking in terms of what your witness is. Verse 5, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Someone proclaims that Jesus is not, is not God in the flesh. We need to have a response to that. You see? We need to have a well-reasoned thought of response to that because we know the Word of God, we consume the Word of God, we're good students, and we have to respond to it in a way that would have merit. Verse 6, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. This is so crucial. Um, and, I, and I think the uh, book of Proverbs can greatly help us with this. I want you to understand this, that the way we use the Word of God is crucial. There's nothing more obnoxious nor more destructive than the misuse of God's Word. That's the problem, right, in so much of the church. We, the church, those who do study the Word of God, they have it, but they don't know how to use it. Speech has the potential for good. But even the right kind of speech in terms of content has the potential for evil. Right? 
So, so here's, here's, here's what I'm trying to say here. Uh, we need to know how we communicate God's word. Uh, so first thing, in, in this second part of the sermon, first thing, we have to know who we're speaking to or who we're speaking with. You have to know that. One of the problems with uh, people who put, you know, uh, signs or big signs, big letters, and big, you know, on signs and walk down the street with repent because Jesus is going to burn you alive or whatever, right? You've seen that stuff, right? There's a guy in Auburn who always used to carry this sign. He used to live in Auburn. He used to carry this sign uh, near this overpass, and basically it was that. It was like, repent, judgment is coming. One of the problems is that that may not be, I'm not 100%, that's for another discussion. I may not be 100% against that kind of stuff. However, however, we have to know who we're speaking to and who we're speaking with. We have to know that. I have a friend, well, not really, he's a friend, but he's, he was my professor in seminary. He's one of my professors. And I used to spend a lot of time with professors. I used to go hang out with them and try to get into their heads and try to understand what, they were, what was really going on, how they were ticking, you know. It's just that kind of person I am. I mean, I was in it to know, right? So I went and spent time. Anyway, the point is that one time, this professor, Ben Witherington III, is actually a very well-known professor. You can look him up on Amazon. The guy's written like, you know, I don't know how many books, 40 books or whatever. It's crazy. Very prolific. But, but I'll never forget one time he said, look, he said to his students, I was in his class, and he said, look, there was a time when a friend of mine and I were on the road. We were traveling around the road, and everything was going just fine. But our car broke down, and it was really stressful. I mean, we didn't have AAA, and we needed help. We needed a ride. Yeah, well, cars passed us and went by us, and we tried to flag, flag cars down, and no one was, no was going to help us. Finally, someone stopped to help us. Nice people, right? Two people in this car. They stopped to help us, and they said, where are you going? So, said, well, we just need to go a ride to the next town because we've we got to get some help to uh, fix, our, fix our car. I said, okay, hop on in. Now, this is in North Carolina, by the way. And, uh, and, and as they were riding in the car, Ben's friend got in a discussion with one of the persons in the front of the car, you know, one of these two people. And they got in a discussion about, about, the, about the earth. And uh, next thing you know, he discovered that these people believe that the earth is flat. Now, I don't know if you know any flatlanders, but there are flatlanders. We could have a flatlander here. That's fine if you're a flatlander. Um, but nevertheless, he got in this discussion with this flatlander, and guess where that argument went? By the way, you know the, the, the whole four corners of the earth thing in the Bible, particularly in Revelation? They read that literally, right? Four corners. They're flatlanders. Well, this conversation went into an argument, right? Because that's where conversations like that often go. And before you knew it, I mean, Ben was worried they weren't going to make it to the next town to be able to get help, right? And, and which they did, but they almost didn't. And Ben told us, he said, he said and I, I'll never forget this because I thought this was really helpful. He said, he said uh, please do not forget that there are times when you come face to face with invincible ignorance. You ever heard that phrase before, invincible ignorance? There are people in the world that have invincible 
ignorance. It doesn't matter whether you're right. It doesn't matter if you have more information than they do. It does not matter how good you are at reasoning. It does not matter. There are people in the world who are invincibly ignorant. You've got to know who they are, and you have to, therefore you have to know when to avoid them and how to avoid them. You've got to know who you're speaking with. And this is, so, this is just like, this is kind of like a no-brainer, right? We should know that. There are people that we, we present the gospel to. It doesn't matter. They're not going to take it up. They're not going to believe it, at least not in those moments. So you have to know, we have to know who we're speaking with. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think I have, uh, I've run into people who have invincible ignorance. All right? It happens. Uh, and this goes back to last week's sermon, right? Last week's sermon, I spoke on the fear of the Lord. And what did we discover there? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. In other words, fools are not teachable, right? There are some people that have knowledge, but it's just tweaked a little bit. It's not quite accurate. The wise listen, but fools bring ruin near. Well, that's another one. That's another verse here I have right here. Proverbs 10.14. The wise lay up knowledge, but the mouth of a fool brings ruin near. Why does the mouth of a fool bring ruin near? Well, they're not teachable, and they're proclaiming the wrong stuff. And we could talk a lot more about that. But the point is, is that we have to be teachable, and not all the world is teachable. Okay, so that's, 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 uh, that's, that's one of the points. One of the first point under my, sec- under my second point of knowing how to use the Word of God, that was my first point under the second point. Might we call that point A? I don't know how you want to outline this. Okay, secondly, we have to know when to speak to someone. I love this verse in Proverbs 26, 45. I love these two verses together. They're set up together for a reason. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. In other words, you're going to be a fool if you answer a fool according to his folly. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Wait a minute. Which is it? Do we answer a fool according to his folly? Or do we not answer a fool according to his folly? Which one is it? Oh, maybe it's contradicting itself. No, because Proverbs are meant to be used at particular times in particular ways. Right? Sometimes, depending on the situation, depending upon who you're speaking to, and particularly depending upon the timing of it, that's the point, know when you, to speak to someone. Sometimes we need to stay away from speaking to a fool because a fool is only going to just blast you and damage you and maybe talk behind your back and hurt you. You see, you become a fool yourself because that person who you're speaking to and confronting may turn that around and begin to talk to others about, about your own foolishness. But there are other times in which the situation is right in order to share the truth with him or her. And so, and, you know, it depends. You have to know the when. You have to know the who. You have to know the when to speak to someone. I mean, there's just no way that I can um, overemphasize that, okay? Uh, look for the right moment. And I would speak, okay? So um, I love this verse here. This is, this is really the, was the center of my 
whole idea here today. Proverbs 25.11. A word fitly spoken. This is the ideal. A word fitly spoken. That's, that's in terms of tone, in terms of content, in terms of timing, in terms of who you're speaking to. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Hmm. Look for the right moment. All right. So, last point under this, uh, under this topic. We need to know why we're speaking to someone. It's not enough to know who we're speaking to. It's not enough to know when we're speaking that, to that person. We have to know why we're speaking to an individual. Um, again, it's not just about the content. It's not just about the style. It's about the right um, reason, the right reason. Um, if you and I are speaking to someone and it's about ourselves, it's because of our own pride, it's because we want to be right. And believe me, I've fallen into this many times. I, this is one of my area, areas of, I get into trouble because sometimes I rely so much on my reasoning ability that I kind of just hurt my own cause by trying to prove my point. It's very bad. Okay, very, very bad. But if we do these things because, you know, it's like we're trying to impress God, we're trying to impress others, or whatever, then our very words may be incredibly destructive. In fact, I really believe this, that even when we're absolutely right, when we have the knowledge, our words that we use can be super destructive. We can be talking the truth of God, and it can be doing nothing but damaging someone because we're doing it the wrong way, you see. Um, I want you to hear this. This, this, is, this, is, this is what I want you to understand today. All of this instruction, all these points, if not underpinned with love, if not filled and immersed in love, and I, I, I fail at this at times, it's nothing but a useless exercise. I wish I could get that message across to many of us in the church. That if we're not truly loving the person that we're speaking to, I think it's worse than a useless exercise. I think at times we are pushing people away from the gospel. They might even agree with what we're saying, but their pride will not let them admit it because you have raised a wall so high that they refuse to get over it. Because for them to get over it, means that they would have to humble themselves and admit that you're right. Don't be like that. Everything that we communicate has to be communicated in love. Jesus is the ultimate example of this, right? Everything that he did was in love. It was for love. Um, I don't know exactly what he sounded like, but I know that when he spoke, they were words of love. Even when he looked at the sinner, even the Pharisee, and warned the Pharisee, it was an act of love warning the Pharisee about his judgment, coming judgment in his life. He always looked at the sinner and loved that sinner. He always looked at the disciple and loved that disciple. His words of judgment and warning were filled with grace for the sake of the other. 
And that takes us right back to the cross. Because at the cross, we discover the great word of love. I mean, how are you and how am I going to talk back to the man who is giving his life for us? I don't like the way you're saying this, Jesus. I don't like that. I don't think you're going to say that. Because you know that he died because he loves you. You know that his word is there because he loves you. Everything about him was for the sake of love. So as you become good Bible students and take in God's word, know who you're talking to, know when to say something, but most importantly, know why you're saying it. Because I guarantee you that the person you're talking to will have a good sense about why you're saying it. And they want to know first and foremost whether you love them. That's what they want to know. Would you pray with me? Father, it's, uh, it's a, uh, a real challenge to take the Word of God and begin to study it and learn what it says. It's all, there's a huge subject, Lord. It, it, it's way bigger than any one of us. And it's just we, hours and hours of lectures on that. It certainly is possible to become good Bible students. But Lord, all of us here know something. And I pray, Jesus, that when we share the word of God with people in our family, or people who are our neighbors, people we work with, uh, maybe it's a stranger on the street, that when we share it, Lord, it would be done in such a way that it's gracious. That the whole Ted Williams thing about having that voice would be not so much about the voice itself, but the tone or the, 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 the heart that would come through that voice. Lord, I want us to have a ministry here that is fruitful. I know you want us to have a ministry that's fruitful, but you, Lord, we need you to help us. We need you to help give us not only the knowledge, but the way to communicate the knowledge in this world. And that's what the book of Proverbs is about, Lord. I know that Proverbs is so that we would become good communicators, as well as a number of other themes. But we want to be people who are faithful to you for your sake, because we love you, and not because we love ourselves or try to lift up ourselves. So just ask, Lord, that you would weaponize the church I mean that in the very best sense. Weaponize the church with the word of God expressed in great love and great grace and great mercy in this world. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.